So this morning we continue the six-part series, Future Family, as we take a look at how media, especially social media, is impacting all of us and how our faith can still speak through those multiple layers of media influences, particularly to our children and youth. Now the media that they're exposed to today are really different than those that existed when our parents and grandparents had children at home. I guess that would be a lot of us. Before the internet and social media, they only had to contend with books and magazines and uh, maybe some weird comic books and Hollywood movies, uh, radio and television. Well, you know, for those of us who were, who were old enough to remember those days of yore, even those few communications media prevented some, or presented some challenges to parents. But today, parents face such different challenges and so many more things that they have to contend with as families navigate life with the always present cell phones, the almost always available internet, and social media apps that just seem numberless. The use of social media is now a huge part of our lives, and as, as we as our children navigate our day, probably using a number of different apps. For those of us who are app-impaired, by the way, I have a short list of some of the most popular social media apps. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn, next door, and there are many others. Do you use any of those? I bet a lot of people use Facebook. I guess I'm in that number. I've tried Twitter. I did LinkedIn before I was retired, and I, I get all kinds of emails from next door. You know, a lot of these apps appear to be free, but we all know that nothing's really free, right? For example, Facebook is keeping track of everything we do on Facebook. Now, of course, they have to in order to make it a good experience for us. And they, they do supply us with a really nice, useful communications tool that does lots of cool things. But no one can be in business and lose money, so how do they make their money? And I think by now many of us know that as we use Facebook, they are vacuuming up information about us that they get from us and selling it to anyone who wants to buy it. And they also use it to target specific ads to us as we browse through our Facebook pages and post things. Now I have a, had a question for a while. What happens if one of our children posts something on social media that they, they later regret? Once that happens, it's possible to lose control of it. Once we put something out into the world through social media, it may be there forever. I got to wondering, is there anything out there about me? So I Googled myself. I can't remember ever posting any videos of myself on any social media Yet amazingly, something came up. Happily, it's safe. <laughs> in 1967, I sang a duet on WTTV Channel 4 
where I also worked on the studio crew. Years later, someone from Channel 4 put it on YouTube. It's a clip from WTTV's 50th anniversary special. And I'm not the reason they put it on there, but I think you'll see the reason if I show it to you now, which I hope I do not regret. <laughs> right after this message, we have a very beautiful song called Shenandoah by Paul Ernst and Bob Glaze in just a moment. I had forgotten that I sang on the Billy Boucher show. I ran camera on her show. And, but I guess she was kind enough to let me sing on it, and she's a dear lady. And uh, Paul Ernst, who was also in our production department, I'd forgotten he and I were a pretty good team. You know, I heard that tape, and I just about died. I mean, it was, well, we were singing Shenandoah. Shenandoah, I long to hear you far away, you rolling river, come back across the rolling water, away. must be truth in advertising. I cut that off where I did. I edited that because I knew you didn't want to hear the whole song. Right after that, where that fades to black, the camera angle changes, and there is the most beautiful pimple on my <laughs> Well, when I sang there with the future Cowboy Bob, there was no such thing as home video cameras or cell phones, let alone phones that could you could pick up and record videos, yet there it is on YouTube. I didn't put it there, and I really have no idea how I would take it off if I wanted to. In this case, I guess no harm has been done. Well, maybe a little harm to me. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about social media, cell phones, and our children. When something as pervasive as social media has become so intricately woven throughout our daily and hourly existence, it's bound to affect the way we live both for better and for worse. And sure enough, research has shown and it has been done that shows that heavy use of social media can actually change who we are by making changes in our brain. So. If it's all right with you, let's take a couple of minutes and explore some of these possibilities. Here are five ways social media is changing your brain right now. With social media sites being used by one-third of the entire world, they've clearly had a major influence on society. But what about our bodies? Here are five crazy ways that social media and the internet are affecting your brain right now. 
Can't log off? Surprisingly, 5-10% to of internet users are actually unable to control how much time they spend online. Though it's a psychological addiction as opposed to a substance addiction, brain scans of these people actually show a similar impairment of regions that those with drug dependence have. Specifically, there's a clear degradation of white matter in the regions that control emotional processing, attention, and decision making. Because social media provides immediate rewards with very little effort required, your brain begins to rewire itself, making you desire these stimulations, and you begin to crave more of this neurological excitement after each interaction. Sounds a little like a drug, right? We also see a shift when looking at multitasking. You might think that those who use social media or constantly switch between work and websites are better at multitasking, but studies have found that when comparing heavy media users to others, they perform much worse during task switching tests. Increased multitasking online reduces your brain's ability to filter out interferences and can even make it harder for your brain to commit information to memory. Like when your phone buzzes in the middle of productive work. Or wait, did it even buzz? Phantom Vibration Syndrome is a relatively new psychological phenomenon where you think you felt your phone go off, but it didn't. In one study, 89% of test subjects said they experienced this at least once every two weeks. It would seem that our brains now perceive an itch as an actual vibration from our phone. As crazy as it seems, technology has begun to rewire our nervous system, and our brains are being triggered in a way they never have before in history. Social media also triggers a release of dopamine, the feel-good chemical. Using MRI scans, scientists found that the reward center in people's brains are much more active when they're talking about their own views as opposed to listening to others. Not so surprising, we all love talking about ourselves, right? But it turns out that while 30-40% to 40 of face-to-face -face conversations involve communicating our own experiences, around 80% of social media communication is self-involved. The same part of your brain related to orgasms, motivation, and love are stimulated by your social media use, and even more so when you know you have an audience. Our body is physiologically rewarding us for talking about ourselves online. But it's not all so self-involved. In fact, studies on relationships have found that partners tend to like each other more if they meet for the first time online rather than with a face-to-face -face interaction. Whether it's because people are more anonymous or perhaps more clear about their future goals, there's a statistical increase in successful partnerships that started online. So while the internet has changed our verbal communication with increased physical separation, perhaps the ones that matter the most end up even closer. That went pretty fast, didn't it? <laughs> Let me review. Up to 10% of us can't control how long we're online. Apparently, a lot of people have social media addiction because it's been noticed. And ironically, I saw a joke about it on Facebook. I'm going to share that with you. So last night, the internet stopped working. So I spent a few hours with my family. They seem like good people. <laughs> well, some of our elected politicians have noticed uh, that there is such a thing as social media addiction. And you know, there's even a bill that's been submitted to the United States Senate with the aim of curbing this addiction. The Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology, our SMART Act. The idea of this act from freshman Senator Josh Hawley is to actually ban some of the program features in, in the social media apps, such as removing the autoplay capability from YouTube where you look up a YouTube video and it just goes from one to the next to the next. The act would also eliminate the snap streak on Snapchat that requires users to send photos to each other at least once every 24 hours. Now the senator sees these as addictive features, but his bill also proposes 
that social media apps be fitted with a feature that limits the time a person can use that particular app. Now the second point of the video was about multitasking. When I first saw this video, I couldn't help but recall an incident that I experienced with texting while I was a pastor in Columbus, Ohio. A man came to the church where I was appointed for a counseling session, but he, we never really actually got into any discussion because the entire time we were together, he had his phone in his hand and his face in his phone, and he was texting other people. He was so entirely self-absorbed, he couldn't communicate with the real human being in front of him. That was my first experience, being on the receiving end of that. I don't believe he even realized he was wasting his time and being rude. I don't think that ever crossed his mind. More to the point, he was unable to interact at the same time with both me and the people he was messaging. So he truly wasn't able to multitask. Now I heard people laugh at the, at the phantom phone vibrations. The first time I watched this video, I didn't really believe anything like that actually happened to anyone until it happened to me. I felt a vibration that I thought was my phone, but my phone was on the desk in front of me. So it couldn't have been my phone. And that got me to wondering, how much has my brain been rewired by social media? Now the fourth point they made, and I don't know why it's fourth because I think it's the important point. It's truly disturbing. The animation says a lot, actually, when the word me starts appearing above the, the head of the little animated person there. Me. 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 It's like a warning that if we're not careful with social media, it will actually change us in a way antithetical to the great commandments taught to us by Christ. Can social media potentially rewire us into people who live a mostly self-centered existence through social media apps? An existence in which we can even tailor our media experiences to be only what we individually like to the exclusion of what we don't like? And this begs the question, do I want my child to be subjected to such a negative transformation that might happen where the great commandments, you must love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself, no longer have any relevance in his or her life? The last point of the video, the partners who meet online are more likely to like each other than if their first interaction is face-to-face, -face, just reminds me that nothing is all bad. There are positive things about social media. Our new and always improving communications data network and all those convenient apps and that are developed and continuing to be developed, when they're properly used, they're like a magical means to better connect us, to bring us together, to enable new communities and better connect families. You know, this week at Thursday worship, I asked the group if they would share some of the ways that they commonly use social media. It was an amazing experience to hear their answers. 
Social media is where they get their news, not usually television or radio. Why? They get it so much faster than they could get it through official or broadcast channels. Friends, relatives, or even strangers on Facebook and Twitter are more trusted, it seemed, than professional reporters or official government sources, which were characterized as especially slow. In addition, social media users can filter out the things they don't need to hear, along with the ones they don't want to hear. I heard several real-life examples of how the traditional media had let, the individ had let certain individuals down in various ways, all of which they felt they could overcome by using social media. All I know is I can use my phone, my tablet, uh, my laptop to let me run apps that let me watch TV or movies or play games or shop for things and pay for them and have them shipped directly to my home. I can make reservations for dinners, plays, concerts, sporting events and have the tickets sent to my phone. Or better yet, I can just watch them on my phone. And I'm able to do that all with this little box in my hand. Ironically, I can even coordinate real-life face-to-face get-togethers through social media. That is, if I use it as a helpful tool in my life without letting it become my life. But when it comes to the negatives of social media, I think that freshman senator has it wrong. It's not only by law or just by family rules or restrictions that we will shield our children from these addictive and self-absorbing and risky aspects of social media. Some governmental and parental regulation is good, but we don't have to be doomed to having our brains rewired in ways that can isolate us and transform us into someone we don't wish to be. The letter to the congregation at Colossa, part of which Phyllis read for us this morning, actually has some things to tell us that we can apply to our social ethical problems with social media. The congregation to which that letter was addressed was facing some social ethical problems of their own. They were, for one thing, they were having an argument about bringing into their church some what were distinctively Jewish practices, such as circumcision, the dietary food laws, and very strict Sabbath keeping. Some of the non-Jewish converts were finding great appeal in that. But the letter reminds them that their church family really doesn't need all those extra things that they're arguing about if they just stick with the commandments given to them by Christ. The real issue for them was, and for us, is that we don't need to put in place lots and lots of special techniques to deal with whatever forces of evil are at work in our personal and social life. Rather, we need to seek to better live the Christian life. The appeal in this letter is that Christ is enough. No additional knowledge is necessary. Now a few common sense regulations to protect children, some rules put in place by loving parents. These are all good things, but a good grounding in Christ is priceless.
Our scripture says it this way. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts whatever you do, whether in speech or action. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Now I just wonder, what would that look like if we put that into practice with social media? So I am going to invite you to do something that until today I just never really thought I would ask people to do in church. Take out your phone. Or if you can't dig deep enough for it, just think about your phone. Look prayerfully for a moment at your social media apps. What if someone shared on Facebook that they were hurting and instead of clicking the like button, you called them up? Or even better, go see them in person. Or maybe just let them know you're praying for them. What if you pulled up your Twitter feed and prayed for each person who posted something? What if you took a moment to look at the photos that were posted on Instagram and asked God to help you see creation in a new way, to see that person as God sees him or her? What if each time you look at your phone's text and social media apps, you silently give thanks for every single person who comes across your screen? At worship Thursday evening, I was asked, if I, if I do things like that, for example, on Facebook, and then let everyone know about it on social media, wouldn't that be a self-centered act? Good question. These what-ifs assume that when you do these things, they will only be known by you, that other person, and God. not shared with the rest of the world on social media. Now there's a way to take the me out of it for you and your children. And it's right there in that letter to the Colossians. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. That's right there. What if we took that scripture passage seriously and did everything in the name of Jesus and to give thanks?